The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our scripture reading this evening comes from Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. How are we doing? Good. Good to be with you guys this evening. If you haven't met before, my name is Tim. I serve as the pastor here at Citizens. Like Walker said, to start us, we exist to be a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. That's our goal as we meet here. We are in uh, Acts chapter 2 tonight, so if you have uh, a Bible, go ahead and get there, or a phone. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be some on the ends of the rows. Feel free to grab that. If you don't own a Bible, uh, feel free to take that one home with you as our gift to you. Katie, I'm just going to move this back just a little bit. Um, Yeah, feel free to take that one home with you. That's our gift to you. and encourage you to read it and encounter Jesus through his scriptures, which we believe are true and without error. Acts chapter 2. Before we dive in, let me do a little bit of quick recap on where we're at and then give you a quick heads up of where we're going tonight. So we are in week two of a 10-week series on the book of Acts where we're asking the question, what can we as a brand new church plant here on the east side of Charlotte, what can we learn from how the first churches were planted? What can we learn from this early church, these early followers of Jesus? And so last week we looked at Acts 1, 1 through 11. We talked about how in Jesus' final moments with his followers, with his disciples, he told them that they were to go be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
this great charge, this great commission he gave to his followers, and us, by nature of that, today his followers have this same charge. We have this same command given to us to go take the gospel where God has placed us. And we ended by talking about that within five miles of this building, there are over 125,000 people who don't know Jesus as Lord, don't love him, don't follow him, don't serve him. And so we talked about how Jesus gave us this great command, this great commission, but not only did he give us a command, he also gave us a promise. This is what we read in Acts 1.8. Where Luke says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Before Jesus' first followers were to take the gospel to the nations, they were to wait in Jerusalem until the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were going to be given this power, God living and dwelling within them, that was going to empower them to take the gospel to the watching and waiting world. And after this, the apostles, they're waiting in Jerusalem, the end of chapter 1. They appoint the new 12th apostle, Matthias, who's going to replace Judas. Because if you've read the story, you know Judas betrayed Jesus. It didn't go well for him after that. So they appoint Matthias. He's the new apostle. And in addition to those 12, there's about, in total, 120 believers gathered together and praying and waiting for this promise of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 2. I will warn you, so as I was kind of looking out ahead for this sermon, reading different scholars and commentators, uh, the first one that I opened, the commentator to intro Acts 2 and this passage basically said something along the lines of, a lot of sweat and ink have been spilled over this passage, which is a like theologian, corny way of saying good luck. (laughs) This is what we have to deal with today. Good luck to us as we talk about fire and tongues and spirit and all that great stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Acts 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So the day of Pentecost is this Jewish feast that took place 50 days after Passover, and it's a celebration of the harvest. Basically, it's go time. We get to feast. We get to eat from our labor. And on that feast, a ton of people from all over would have come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And on this day, it says they, this 120 early followers of Jesus, were gathered together. Verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So these believers are in a house, they're praying, they're waiting, and just out of nowhere, it's like, boom, Holy Spirit and all this craziness. And there's some uh, evidences that Luke gives here to show them and show us that this was the Holy Spirit. So he says, first, there's a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Throughout the scriptures, wind and spirit are used in parallel. It's this idea that, that with the Spirit comes this idea of this mighty rushing wind. Here's the second thing that happens is that tongues as of fire rest on them. Throughout the Old Testament in particular, fire is often associated with the presence of God. So you think about uh, the famous story of Moses in the burning bush, right? God shows up to Moses, his presence shows up to Moses through fire. Think about after God leads his Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, he leads them in the desert at night through a fiery cloud. Fire to show the presence of God, which is what the Spirit is. Number three, it says speaking in different tongues and languages, 
So even though all of these early believers are from the same region, they can start talking in a whole host of other human languages. All these evidences that what Jesus promised has actually happened. The Spirit has come. Not just on the 12 apostles, but in all 120 men and women here in the room. The Holy Spirit, this great helper, has come to God's people. Verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, a.k.a. a lot of people from a lot of different places are all hearing these group of Galileans all speak their languages. What are they saying? Keep reading. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. So Holy Spirit fills these believers. They start preaching the gospel, the mighty works of God. Some of them are like, this is crazy. What is going on? Others of them are like, they're drunk. Easy. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Okay, I'm about to have a little sermon. Verse 15, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Y'all, I love the Bible. Peter gets up, classic Peter, always the first to talk, and he says, hey, I'm about to explain what's going on, but first you have to understand it's 9 a.m. They're not drunk, all right? Too early in the morning for that craziness. The Bible's so fun. If you don't think the Bible's fun, it's so fun. He's going to explain then what happens. Verse 16, says they're not drunk. This is what's happening. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He's going to go on to quote Joel 2, 28 through 32. He says this, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Everybody, men, women, servants, rich, poor, everybody. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you like to write in your Bible, underline that verse 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the promise of the gospel that's still true today that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. We'll get to the rest of Peter's sermon next week, but in summary, here's what he is arguing. He says, a long time ago, God told us through the prophet Joel that he would send his Holy Spirit upon all who would trust in him. Not just prophets, not just priests, not just kings. Everybody who's a follower of Jesus gets the Spirit. They would prophesy, and they would preach, and the gospel would spread, and this would be a sign to the watching world that they are entering into the last days. This is a biblical term for this age of the church before Christ's second coming. So this time we're in before, or between when Christ goes up and ascends to God, and when he comes back down, ruling and reigning and establishing his forever kingdom. This last days. Peter says these are signs that will accompany the second coming of Christ. And all of this, all of these signs, all this outpouring of the Spirit is so that more and more people would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. I can paraphrase what's happening in these 21 verses. It's this. Number one, God promised the Holy Spirit would come. Now the Holy Spirit is here. 
The Holy Spirit is about to move in power, and a bunch of people are going to get saved. So it's happening here in 2, 1 through 21. God promised, Holy Spirit's coming, Holy Spirit's here, Holy Spirit's about to get going, and people are going to become Christians. Before we get into uh, all of the crazy, huge implications of this, what this means that the Spirit is here for the church in Acts, what this means for the, that the Spirit is here for the church today, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. I want to do a little bit of Holy Spirit 101. So I don't know if any member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I don't know if any member of the Trinity is more misunderstood, misre- misrepresented, or even just forgotten about than God the Holy Spirit. Right, if you take a look at the broader church, broader Christendom as it stands, people often go one of two routes. So either they uh, have an unhealthy use and abuse of who the Spirit is and what he does and how he works, or they just kind of forget about him altogether. It's kind of the two routes. And so I thought it'd be helpful today before we jump into the implications of Acts 2 and how it applies to our lives to just talk about who the Holy Spirit is, do a little Holy Spirit 101. Some of y'all are going to love it. Some of y'all are going to hate it. All of us need it. Holy Spirit 101. Here we go. Five things. We're going to work through them fairly quickly. I want to make sure we're on the same page because if I'm going to say what I'm about to say in a minute, which is that you need the Holy Spirit working in your life, I want to make sure when I say Holy Spirit and you think Holy Spirit, we're talking about the same thing, rather the same person. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He is fully God and equal with God the Father and God the Son. So the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not an it. He's a person. He has personhood. He's not less powerful or less important than the Father and the Son. He's not more powerful or more important than the Father and the Son. He's the third member of the Trinity, fully God and equal with God the Father and God the Son. Number two, the Holy Spirit's primary task is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and glorify Christ. The Holy Spirit's primary task is to manifest, to make known the active presence of God in the world and to glorify Christ. The Holy Spirit works to make much of Jesus, to make sure that Jesus is glorified, to make sure that Jesus is lifted up. I heard one pastor talk about it, that the more that you learn to see the work of the Spirit, the more you learn to think about Jesus. It's the work of the Spirit. He elevates Jesus, and then he works and moves to bring God's power and presence out into the world. God's not distant, he's not disengaged, he's not uninvolved in his creation. He's working and moving through the Holy Spirit. Number three, the Holy Spirit helps Christians in many ways, including convicting of our sin, comforting us in our sorrow, teaching us, persevering us, holding us, keeping us. The Bible says he's a seal of our salvation, sanctifying and empowering, helping us with gifts, which we'll talk about in a second Jesus himself, John 14, he actually says it's better for me to go away so that the Holy Spirit will come. I've heard one pastor put it this way. I kind of liked it. He said, the Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. It is better for us to have the Spirit. It's better for us to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us as believers than it is to have Jesus walking amongst us. Number four, I hope you're fast writers. The Holy Spirit indwells all believers fully at the time of their conversion but he will also give filling and power for particular kingdom work. Holy Spirit indwells all believers fully at the time of their conversion, but he will also give filling and power for particular kingdom work. So there's no biblical warrant for this idea that you might hear of a second baptism. 
There's no Bible reality truth for this idea that you become a Christian and then later you're supposed to get baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's not true. When you become a Christian, you get the fullness of God in the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And sometimes the Spirit might fill or empower you for particular kingdom work. So think about if you've ever shared your faith with someone and you get done with the conversation and you're like, I don't even know what happened. It felt like an out-of-body experience. Like I was just saying stuff. That's the Holy Spirit. Empowering, filling, working. Number five, last one, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to all believers in various ways and degrees for the building up of the church. Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to all believers in various ways and degrees for the building up of the church. If you are a Christian, you have a gift or multiple gifts that God has given you through his spirit to use for the benefit of those around you in this church. You have a role to play. You have a means by which you can serve and contribute and help the body be built up more and more into what our church is supposed to look like for the glory of God. You have a gift. You have a role to play. Side note, we'll talk about it more at the end of the gathering. Uh, End of February, we're going to do a Saturday seminar on spiritual gifts. We're going to help you in community identify if you don't know what your gifts are and what role you can play in helping build up our church for the glory of God. Talk about that more at the end. That's five things. Holy Spirit 101. Roll through them real quick one more time. Keenan, if you want to throw them back up real quick, you can. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, fully God, equal with God the Father and God the Son. Number two, the Holy Spirit's primary task is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and glorify Christ. Number three, the Holy Spirit helps Christians in many ways, including convicting, comforting, teaching, persevering, sanctifying, and empowering. That's just a few of them. There's actually a ton more in Scripture. Number four, the Holy Spirit indwells all believers fully at the time of their conversion, but he will also give filling and power for particular kingdom work. Number five, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to all believers in various ways and degrees for the building up of the church. With that, let's talk about why this matters. Without the Holy Spirit... There is no book of Acts. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no book of Acts. Everything we're about to read and talk about in the coming weeks, which is some crazy stuff. So at the next part, next week, we're going to look at the end of this sermon. Peter's going to preach. It's going to be awesome. This whole crowd is going to be like, dang, we killed Jesus. And 3,000 people are going to get saved in one night. Crazy stuff. Later on in the book, the the apostles are praying, and God literally starts shaking buildings through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like crazy things, healings and miracles and all of this stuff, but all of it does not happen without the power and presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave his disciples this incredible mission. Go, make disciples, take the gospel where I have put you to the nations, but that does not happen without the Spirit's power, the promise that I will be with you I will dwell within you in my spirit. This was a Holy Spirit work that needed to take place. That's how David Platt, pastor, talks about it. He says, the day of Pentecost was the installation of God's new source of blessing and power for the benefit of his people. Which means we can't miss the power behind this incredible spread of the gospel. That will go from 120 to 3,000 and more and more and more and more over the course of just 30 years, like we talked about a few weeks ago, last week, I think. It's not just the church doing some cool stuff. It's not just some apostles preaching some really good sermons. It's not just the church being unified. It's all of those things. But even more than that, we're meant to read the book of Acts and not go look at what the early church did. Yay, hooray, what can we learn? But to look at the book of Acts and go look at what God has done. Look at what he can do. 
through a group of people, a small group of people going, you know what, we're going to be sold out for this. We're going to be about this. We're going to welcome the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives, and we're going to go for it in his power. This whole book is about saying, look at what God can do through a willing group of people willing to be used and empowered and sent on mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the way uh, Ben Witherington, theologian, says it. He says, without the coming of the Spirit, there would be no prophecy, no preaching, no mission, no conversions, and no worldwide Christian movement. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no Peter preaching and 3,000 people getting saved. There are no signs and wonders like Peter says will happen in 17 through 21. There is no movement of the gospel. But we read this book, all 28 chapters of Acts, and we go look at what the Holy Spirit is doing, has done, and can do as he empowers the early church for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no book of Acts. But here's the deal. The same is true for us today. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no Citizens Church. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no Citizens Church. This book, I already said it, this book is a story not first and foremost about what the early church did, but is first and foremost about what God does in power through the Holy Spirit, which means as we read this, it's not just some prototype for a healthy church. It's not just some 10 steps to what we should do to figure it out. What we're reading here is that the Spirit of God moves. So we're meant to read it and go, okay, we need this. We need this Holy Spirit kind of power. We need this Acts 2 kind of Holy Spirit showing up and doing something in our lives to see all the things we want to see God do as a church. Right? What are the dreams that you have for what God might do in Citizens Church? If you're new, you might not be able to answer that. But if you're a member here, what are the dreams you have that you want to see God do in this body? See people pass from death to life through Christ. See the marginalized and hurting in our city loved and welcomed and served and cared for. To see leaders trained and churches planted. To see believers maturing in their faith, learning to say no to sin and yes to God. To see marriages restored and kids raised in the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. To see family created where people don't view what they have as their own, but say, no, I'm not about me. My life is not about me. I'm going to give my life away for the good of my Christian brothers and sisters. It doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit doesn't happen without a move of God. This won't happen based on good strategic planning. This won't happen based on a well-ordered and large financial budget. It doesn't happen based on a nice, permanent, don't have to rent anymore, meet all our needs facility. It doesn't happen based on dynamite sermons. You're welcome. And the greatest staff team ever assembled, right? All those are good things. I would love a large budget. I would love a permanent facility. I would love to always preach A-plus sermons. This is not going to happen. But here's the thing. None of those things matter if we don't have the Spirit of God moving in power in our church. It doesn't matter. We could have all of those things. And here's the thing. I would rather have a church with none of those things. Like, I would rather have to rent space for the entire life of our church. And I would rather have to figure it out with a staff. I would rather have to figure it out with a budget. I'd rather have to figure it out with systems, all that stuff, but yet have the Spirit of God moving in power. It's just better. The Spirit of God's not moving. We're not going to see what we want to see happen, which is life change on an individual level, on a corporate level. We need Acts 2 kind of Holy Spirit power. But here's the good news for us in all of this, is that we have access to this same Spirit we read about in this book. This same Holy Spirit who shows up with the sound of wind and with tongues of fire and crazy revival is the same Holy Spirit, the Bible says, who now lives in you and lives in me and lives in all of us who trust in Christ. Romans 8.11. Commit this verse to memory. If you don't have it, commit it. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Can you imagine how your life would look different if you actually learned to believe and live out that verse? 
It's crazy when I think about my life, how my life would look different, how my day-to-day, day in and day out, as I'm a husband, as I'm a father, as I'm working, if I'm going to the grocery store, whatever I'm doing, how would my life actually be different? How would my perspective be different if I learned to see that the Spirit of God who, when Jonah went to Nineveh, brought a city to its knees in revival? Right? David, who rested upon King David and raised him up for service. This Spirit who came down and rested on Jesus at his baptism. The Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, this Spirit, as we read story after crazy story in Acts 1 through 28, through Paul and Peter and James and prophetess Phoebe and all of these people, this same Holy Spirit now lives in you. That's crazy. Crazy. When you read the resurrection story that we celebrate every Easter and we get so pumped up that Jesus is alive, when you think about that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you, can you imagine how that would change your life if you got that? I mean, got that in a way that actually changed things. That's how Sam Storms, pastor, puts it. He says this, I've read the book of Acts and see operative in the lives of those early believers something that I believe is no less available to us today. There's something that links us to the success of the early church and holds forth hope that we can and will emerge from our spiritual lethargy. There's something that can transform good intentions into life-changing actions and abstract theologizing into concrete impact. What the church needs is truth set aflame by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is still working. God is still moving, and he wants to work in you and through you through his Holy Spirit. So what do we do? What do we do in light of that, that the Holy Spirit lives within us, this Holy Spirit we read about in Acts 2 that shows up with wind and fire, and people become Christians, and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved? What do we do with that? Two applications for us this evening. Really, really simple to put into practice, but difficult all the same. Number one, recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. Learn to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. So I, I grew up in church. I've said this before. My parents became believers right before I was born and tried to raise us in the faith and teach us the gospel, all of that. And I went to a super solid Bible teaching, Bible preaching church, but I kind of grew up in the uh, Holy Spirit is unimportant or just kind of not talked about or thought about camp. Um, not for any fault of my pastor. I'm sure he, he was a really solid, godly man that I still respect to this day, but we just kind of never really talked about it. Like we read Acts 2, we read Acts, it was like, yeah, Holy Spirit works, moves, but it's just not something that's applicable to my life. And about five years ago, I was sitting in church and the pastor was talking about a passage from the book of Acts that we're actually going to look at in a few weeks. And he started sharing stories about how he's seen the Spirit of God work and move in the church as a whole, in his life in particular, talking about these miracles and these, these crazy things about how the Spirit works and moves. And it's so interesting because he, he talked about those big things, right? This person getting healed out of nowhere and this crazy revival breaking out and all of these like, gigantic moves of the Spirit. And then he turned and started talking, talking about the everyday work of God that we just don't always have eyes to see started talking about when you're in community group and that, that person shares that thing that they've been struggling with and wrestling with and it feels like they finally have some freedom over it. He talked about that marriage where they just couldn't stand each other and they kept arguing and fighting all of the time, but God did something and softened their hearts towards one another and they forgave and were able to love and serve each other. He talked about those kids who had run away far from Christ and the church, returned back home to be welcomed and loved and repent. He talked about these what seem like, okay, yeah, I know that I have a category for the crazy, what seems wild, but, but that too? 
Like the Holy Spirit did something in my heart that day and it just clicked and I started going, Lord, what have I missed that you have been doing that I've just chalked up to coincidence? Or I've just chalked up to, well, yeah, that, that happens. Or I've chalked up to, yeah, yeah, the sermon was awesome. Or I chalked that up to, well, we have really good group leaders. Or I chalked that up to, well, yeah, but it's just, that's how their life went. And start of, no, I started praying and I said, Lord, I need you to show me how your spirit is working in the mundane and average and what seems ordinary, but is not actually ordinary because your spirit is in it. I started thinking about what he's doing in my life. I started thinking about what he's doing uh, in the church we were at at the time. And this is a prayer I still pray today. Lord, help me have eyes to see what you're doing in Citizens Church that I just want to write off as normal. That I just want to write off as what's supposed to happen. Think about my own life. I think about uh, the story of my older brother. Crazy story that I've shared with some of y'all. He's 10 years ago was just nothing, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Like, was just not about it at all, running as hard as he could from the Lord. God got a hold of his heart, and now he's a pastor and a church planner, preaching the gospel week in and week out. Think about people in our church who are going on months or years of sobriety from sexual addiction or other addictions. Think about times in our worship gathering when it just seems like there's this spirit of unity, like there's just this fervency of we're going to go for it tonight that just kind of happens. Think about those moments when I'm reading the Bible alone and a, a passage I've read a thousand times just kind of hits me in a fresh new way. It's like, I've read that a million times. Why, is, why now is it, is it convicting me this way? Think about people in our church who walk through seasons of suffering and folks out of nowhere are just like, yeah, what do you need? I'm, in, I'm here. Whatever you need. Think about conversations with church members that I know I have to lovingly confront them on an area of their life where they're in sin and they're, they're going sideways and they're probably going to get mad and leave is how I walk into the conversation. And instead, the Lord softens their heart and they repent. And it's easy, church, it's easy to write those things off or to think, oh, yeah, they would have happened anyway. Or, or well, they happened because I, I used the right words. Or they happened because the band was really on point. Or, or they happened because we, we planned correctly or we did the right program. But, but no, that's the Spirit of God at work. He is moving. And you see crazy stories in the book of Acts. I introed with this. There's crazy stories of the Spirit working in here. 3,000 people getting saved, healings, all of this stuff. But a lot of this book is what seems like mundane. Acts chapter 6. The Holy Spirit empowers the first deacons in the church to live lives of service. Acts 11 says the Holy Spirit shows up and gives the early Christians faith. Acts 13 says the Holy Spirit shows up and gives the early Christians joy. It's easy to kind of, yeah, the big things. That's the Holy Spirit, the big things. If we were to have a gathering and 3,000 people were to show up and they were all going to get saved, yeah, like spirit, that is the spirit. Booyah, crushed it, spirit. But the spirit doesn't always work like that. A lot of the times it's in those small things that seem like we just can't actually grasp it. Or he's working and he's moving in power. The question is, do we have eyes to seek it? That's number one, learn to recognize the Holy Spirit. Number two, seek the power of the Holy Spirit. Seek the power of the Holy of the Holy Spirit. Think about the places you feel stuck in your walk with Christ right now. I got them. We all have them. Right? That sin you've been wrestling with that you need to put to death. That friend you've been praying for for years that doesn't know Jesus. That brokenness in your story that you just want redemption and healing over. That sickness or pain that just won't go away. I just told you, Acts 11, Acts 13, right? Holy Spirit shows up, gives faith and joy. Have you ever thought about the role of the Holy Spirit for even your faith and your joy? You ever thought about, okay, I'm, I'm crippled by this anxiety, I'm crippled by this worry, I'm crippled by this doubt or this depression. Have you ever thought about what would happen if I actually seek the Holy Spirit in this moment? 
What would happen if I seek the power of God? 1 Corinthians 4.20 says it so powerfully, so beautifully. It says, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk. It does not consist in a bunch of empty words. It consists in power. Let's be a church that doesn't shrink back or just talk about what the Spirit might do. Well, maybe he'd show up here, maybe he'd do this, but that church that actually believes that the Holy Spirit is living and active and dwelling with all who trust in him. Let's be a Holy Spirit church who seeks his presence and seeks his power and seeks his gift, who read Acts 2 and go, this same spirit lives in us, lives in me, dwells in our church. Let's be a church that goes, you know what, I'm battling this sin or you're battling this sin or you're suffering or I'm suffering. Let's seek the power of God together through his spirit because the spirit who raised Christ from the dead actually still lives in all those who trust in Jesus. Let's seek him together, not for the sake of seeking him, not for the sake of being a cool, we're a Holy Spirit church, we do these cool things. No, let's seek him because he's powerful. He might work in might. Let me tell you one easy way to seek the Holy Spirit or seek the power of the Holy Spirit is to live with an awareness that you have the Spirit of God in you. What that means is that you can actually be used by God in a powerful way. Let me say that again. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you, which means you can actually be used by God in a helpful and powerful way. So church, stop thinking you can't help. Quit it. Stop it. Let me tell you where this shows up. When you're in group time, right, and you're, you're in split up, you're men and women, and somebody's sharing something, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I have the right words to say. I don't know how to encourage them. Listen to me. You have the Spirit of God in you. Say something. If it's wrong, your group leader's good. They'll say, no, that, that was a good try. It's okay. <laughs> say something. Trust the Spirit of God in you. Right? If, if a, a friend, a church family member, they call you and they say, hey, I'm just really hurting right now. Can we just get coffee? And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm freaking out. What do I do? Just show up. You have the Spirit of God in you. Just show up. If you're trying to engage your neighbors or your coworkers with the gospel and you're afraid, validly so, I don't, I don't know what they're going to ask. And that's how I, what if they say that? What, what? Show up. You have the Holy Spirit of God. They ask you a question you don't know. Okay, I don't know. Let's we'll talk about it. Read. Seek the Holy Spirit together. Listen, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Stop thinking that ministry or service or showing up for people that are in your church family is the responsibility solely of the pastor or the deacons or the community group leader. Those people are great and they facilitate. Listen, you have the Spirit of God in you. Step in. Engage. Be there. Show up. Yeah, but I don't don't know. I've never dealt with that issue before. I just don't have any experience. Okay, you have the Spirit of God. Show up. I don't know what the Bible says about that. Okay, read the Bible some and show up. You have the Spirit of God in you. You can be used by God. That's why I love this book. I said this last week. This book is so awesome because so many people that God uses in power in Acts are not the 12 apostles. They don't get named. It's the the ordinary folks that just go, you know what, I want to be used by God in a powerful way. God, he used me. I have your spirit. I believe I have your spirit. I believe you'll empower me and you'll give me what I need to step in in this moment. And if you fail, you fail. So what? You have the spirit of God. Which means you're still forgiven. Show up. Participate. Engage. That's number one. Recognize. Number two, seek. Let me end with this. Pastor J.D. Greer, it's a quote from him. I think it's really helpful. I've just been, been chewing on it, thinking about it a lot when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I really liked it, so I thought it'd be fitting to end with it. He said this, the apostles understood the church to be a movement birthed by the mighty rushing wind of the Spirit of God. Is that how you see your church? 
Most people today see the church as an institution, a place to go to or something to sit through. How did that happen? Many Christians you see function as deists. They act as if God rules from the heavens and has spoken in his word, but does not act on earth or move in their souls, at least in any way that they can sense those movements. Church, I don't want us to be simply an institution. I don't want us to be, and God doesn't want us to be a place where we show up and we check off some Christian duty box because we live in the religious south and we feel good about ourselves for another six days. It's just not worth it. Playoff NFL is way more exciting than me or the band or anything we do on Sundays. It just is. I've heard it put before that Christianity is the worst spectator sport and hobby you could ever have. If you want a hobby, buy a boat. We're not an institution. We're not a place you just show up. We're a movement powered by the Holy Spirit, seeking the face of God, seeking a movement of the kingdom of God in our city and in our world with whatever God wants to do in our lives. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You can step in. You can be available. You can engage. That's my encouragement for us. Let's talk about communion. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed by the shedding of my blood. For every time you eat this little wafer and you drink from this little cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns, which sounds like a weird thing, right? We're announcing Christ's death, but here's what we do. Church, every time we take this little wafer and we drink from this little cup, we are remembering and celebrating and throwing ourselves on the fact that all of the Christian life is based around the reality that Christ died for us, that he shed his blood, that he gave his body on the cross for us. And it's not based on anything we can do. It's not based on our religiosity. It's not based on our good works. It's not based on our effort. It's based on faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, that he alone makes us right with God through repentance of sin and faith in him. And so that's what we remember. Every time we gather together, this is a celebration. It's not something we just do that go through the motions. It's not just something awkward. We like lower our masks real quick. And blah, blah, blah. Like if this is the spirit of God giving us an opportunity to remember the body and blood of Jesus. Let's remember it and celebrate it as such, that this is the way we are right with God. That this represents the beauty of the cross, not just the cross, but the empty tomb. Let me pray for us. If you're not a Christian, this is one of the only things we'd ask you not to participate in, simply because you'd be saying that this is true for you when it's just not yet. But rather than take communion, we invite you to take Christ, to believe that he died and shed his blood and gave his body up for you, that you could be made right with God. I'd love to talk to you about it. We'll be down front, me and some leaders afterward. But let's pray, and then we're going to take communion. We can worship and celebrate Jesus together. God, we love you. We are so grateful for Acts. So grateful for 120 early followers of Jesus stopping and praying and seeking the Spirit together. Knowing we got, we got a commission, we got a command, we have to go take the gospel. But first, Jesus told us to wait. And God, thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit, that you sent the helper, the one you had promised, that he came in power, that he now dwells and lives in all who trust in you. And I pray you will give us eyes to see the working of the Spirit in our lives, in our church, that we won't be a people that talk about coincidence. We'll be a people that talk about providence that we know you work and you move and you have a purpose and you have a plan and you and your spirit and in your power are doing something in the world. God, help us to seek your power. Help us to know, God, if we're doubtful, if we're uncertain, God, help us to know that if we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and so we can actually step in and engage and be used in a powerful way in your kingdom. 
could be big, it could be small, it doesn't matter. God, we want to be used by you. Thanks for Jesus. Thanks for his sacrifice on the cross, his body which was broken, his blood which was shed. Thanks that he didn't stay dead, that he got up out of the grave three days later and that he's risen and ruling and reigning and he will reign forever. That all of this will pass away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth where all who trust in him get to celebrate him forever. God, we long for that day. Until that day, we need your spirit. We need your help. We love you. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen.